Hello, I'm Michael. And I'm Steph. And this is the Chef Campers podcast. Join us for the next 60 minutes as we discuss camper van cooking adventures. Bonjour, Steph. Bonjour, Mike. Ça va? Oui, très bien. Well. Et, et vous? Bon semaine. Uh, oui. Oui. Bon anniversaire. <laughs> we're, um, we're talking French for a couple of reasons. I did French school whilst we were in Morzine. And this episode, well, this series is going to be a little bit different. So we thought we'd kick off our podcast journey with a recap of where we've been, what we've done, and kind of go into a little bit more detail into each area that we've been to. And hopefully, for those of you listening uh, who can't basically sell everything and move into a van and go living in a van for as long as you like, for those of you who have got kind of a week off or 10 days off or two weeks off, this might be a perfect way for you to plan your next destination, especially when kind of COVID and all that sort of stuff eventually goes away or or does something different so we can travel again. So we thought we'd kind of recap on our journey so far and talk about some of those places in a bit more detail, share some of our own stories. And then who knows if there's a, a second season, then we'll uh, we'll have guests then maybe. What do you reckon? Yeah, sounds good. Right. I thought we'd just start by saying it's been a it's been an interesting week, Steph, hasn't it? Oh, it's been very busy. Uh, we've had a lot on, haven't we? It's been it's been my birthday. It's been our anniversary, and we've obviously travelled back from France. Yeah. We are now in our ten day quarantine period. We are. On, what day is it? Day four or day five? five. Day five of our ten day quarantine. So we've travelled all the way back from Morzine in France. We've celebrated Steph's birthday. Yeah, we had a nice homemade curry. With our friends, didn't we? Harry made an yeah. amazing curry. Harry's girlfriend is Pippa, who's a chef I work with in Morzine, but Harry made the curry, and I have to say, it was probably... It was amazing. It was one of the best curries I've had in a long time, Harry, so well, well yeah. done, buddy, that was amazing. He even made his own paneer. He made his own paneer, didn't he? Yeah. He went for it all on his rotties and his ghee and everything. Yeah. He did it all. Excellent work, Harry. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll book you yes. again, I think. <laughs> And so then we had a fondue, didn't we? We had a, our last fondue, we yeah. reckon, of the season, but we'll see. Yeah. Uh, we had a fondue with Tom and Carolyn, which was nice. That was that was good fun with Reggie the dog and Rupert, yeah. and they were posing together. If you've seen Rupert's Instagram, you'll see Reggie on there. And then we had... Oh, and Sarah... From Appealing uh, Cakes. Yes, made, Sarah Peeling from Appealing Cakes. Made a wonderful brownie cake. The towering Jenga of brownies. <laughs> <laughs> we so we had we had that brownie when there was uh when we were all around Pippa and Harry's for a curry and we gave a little bit to Tom and Carolyn yeah. on fondue night and then we left the rest of it in the well we ate a bit more didn't we, we ate a bit more but we left the rest of it in a in the beautiful handcrafted box that Sarah made for us and when we were going to get our COVID test done we were we were leaving Rupert in the truck and we don't like to leave any food in the truck um and we didn't. You know, we didn't put him in the back of the pod because we were only nipping in and out. So we thought, I know, let's get the box of brownies. Let's put it on the on the roof of the truck. And that way, Rupert can't eat them. We don't have to open the pod, in and out, put it then back on the back seat, and away we go. There was one slight problem, wasn't there, Steph? <laughs> <laughs> we forgot to take the brownies off the roof Obviously. when we jumped back into into the pod. And... We basically drove down the road and then after about, it was a good five minutes, <laughs> where all of a sudden we just heard a noise. I looked in my side mirror and there was a box of brownies rolling down the road. And, uh, well, what can you do in that situation? Well, out of the corner of my eye, I saw this white box go into the road and we were like, oh no. It was, we, we realized, it was your birthday as well. It yeah. was actually on your birthday when it happened. It was devastating. Yeah, it was. So I turned the truck around, I pulled over yeah. and Steph ran <laughs> Steph yeah. ran into the road. It was quite a busy road. Yeah. Um so I, I did risk my life for the brownies. I did get them. I was manically rushing in the middle of the road and picked up these bits of brownie that were scattered everywhere. Dodging cars. Dodging cars. Getting them back into the box. Yeah, got the box. The road <laughs> the road gravel didn't didn't stiff to the brownies. We could just Easily brush them off. It wasn't a problem. And I'm glad we. Uh, I'm glad you did risk your life for, for that stuff. Yeah, and it... we've got to say we did eat it. 
There we, wasn't any gravel in it. There was no gravel Although in it. Although it was definitely past the three second rule, I still let it because it was that good. Yeah, I, it was that sort of road where it was so smooth, it was fine. Yeah, but we had them on the way. So home, there was we? no waste in the Yeah, end. we didn't waste we any, Sarah. We had them all. So we've had quite an eventful week and now we're back in the UK and kind of getting ourselves ready and sorted for what we're planning next. But that's another podcast. Right. First destination, Steph. Bordeaux. Bordeaux. So back in 2018, we renovated that flipping house. Burst me appendix, was in hospital. We got it all done in 12 weeks, got it on the market for week 13, sold it by week 15, cash in the bank by week 20, and that profit funded uh, funded the this journey, I guess we're going to talk about in this yeah. series. And our first destination was Bordeaux. So let's maybe talk about where... You've got some facts about Bordeaux, actually, I think. Let's, let's run through them. Yeah, so just uh, basically where it is exactly... And it's on the southwest coast of France, and it's 512 miles from Calais, about a ten and a half hour drive. Yeah, it's about a two day drive from Calais. It's about 500 miles from Calais, or about 300 miles southwest of Paris. So it's on the west coast, on the Atlantic uh, front, you know. Well, it's kind of an hour from the Atlantic, it's inland a little bit. But it's uh, it's kind of that whole region that we're going to refer to as Bordeaux. I think even I don't know if that's right or not, but hey ho, that's it's what we'll say. Southwest. Yeah, southwest. Region. Yeah. Any interesting facts then? Yeah, so it's obviously famous for its wine, its Bordeaux wine, and it exports six hundred million bottles of wine all over the world. I think Bordeaux for me was. There was a reason why we went Bordeaux first, and that was because we did drink a little bit of wine, but we didn't. We weren't really into it, were we? No. And we thought, as a first destination, kind of on this chef discovery journey, then maybe we should go and learn a little bit more about wine and understand it a bit more and understand the the faff of it all, which I'll, I'll talk about later, maybe. But it really did change my vision on wine so what i would say is if you're thinking about going to bordeaux factor in that it's probably a two-day drive from calais um but you could do it in one day if you're really going for it it's about 10 hours um but it's a place that you could spend a week or two weeks and not do the same thing twice and even if you don't drink wine or you're not into wine bordeaux is a place that's worth visiting in a camper van for me and if you're into food which hopefully you are if you're listening to this then it's definitely a place yeah. to go and visit. I've got another fun fact about uh, about Bordeaux. Yeah. The uh, rivers... Oh, hang on. I always get the rivers wrong. The Garonne. and the Garonne. The Garonne and the Dordogne River. Yeah. Well, the water comes all the way from the Pyrenees, on which is the border of France and Spain, the mountains there. The, the water runs all the way from the Pyrenees all the way to the Bay of Biscay. Oh, um, through through Bordeaux, so that's quite. I thought that was quite yeah. interesting. The water you see come down the rivers coming from the Pyrenees, which is probably going to be our next destination. But we'll talk about yeah. that later. I thought that was quite interesting. Um, it's got Europe's longest shopping street as well, you know. Yeah. I think we walked down it. We saw a guy who was had dancing chickens oh, or hens. Chickens. I'm not sure how I feel about that. No, I didn't like that. Yeah. Right. No. Shall we get started on Bordeaux? So we've said where it is, how far away it is, how long it takes to get there. But what is there to see when you get there? Well, we started by going... It was it was a funny time for us because it was, it was our first leg of the journey. And prior to this trip, we'd only ever had maybe five or six days away in a camper van at any one time. So the places that we went to was generally quite limited as to where we could go. It was usually Northern Europe. So to kind of go out of that initial radius, which is kind of beyond a day's drive, was new for us. So it was really exciting, I think. And that Bordeaux was the place that we first picked. And I remember we, we watched we watched our video back actually on YouTube, um, back when we were kind of into filming or whatever. And uh, we just watched it back before this podcast. And we might put a link to that somewhere. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, don't, I don't like it as a video, but it was interesting to watch. And we uh, we referenced in that video that we were trying to catch the last of the of the summer sun so what 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 time was it we went there i think it was about 
late September, early October, I think we went to Bordeaux. Oh yeah, it was just after Vanfest. It was just bus after Fest. just after Busfest, yeah, with we were with Janice, Greg, Jed and uh yeah, Mel and Amondo. Yeah, it was a big gang Dib. of us and Tom yeah. Dib and everyone. So we went to Bordeaux in October. In October, it was actually a really good time to visit Bordeaux, especially if you've got a dog and you're worried about heat. It was a. It was, it a, was still quite warm, wasn't it? But yeah. It was pleasant, wasn't it? Yeah. It was just on the fringe of being able to go in the sea and not go in the sea, but we were able to go in the sea. It was a bit chilly, but it was it was absolutely fine to sit out on the beach in shorts and t-shirt, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. It was that sort of... I think it was about 25, 26 degrees, do you reckon? Yeah. yeah so, for that. me, perfect weather. Not too hot, not too cold. Just nice. Just right. Just right. Yeah. So, we went uh, kind of at that point in the year, and that's quite a good time to visit, I would say. Spring and autumn for that region is good, because I think it gets quite hot, doesn't it, in the summer? Yeah, I think it can get to about... 27 degrees, probably warmer. Isn't that hot? But if you're in a camper van, one of the things that we'd learnt from doing our travels is that the sun can be sometimes more dangerous than, you know, than than snow. Because when we were travelling, at the time we were in the Westphalia Atlantic and it it was double glazed plastic windows all in the back and then the big window screen and glass up the front. And when the sun was coming in, it was just heating Heating the camper van up really like bad, a, wasn't it? A greenhouse. It was a greenhouse. If it was say twenty five degrees outside, it was probably about forty five inside yeah. the van. So we couldn't really drive in midday sun, and we'd have to pull up and have our sliding door open, and maybe be by the coast. So yeah, bear that in mind. If you're going to be going in the peak of summer, just be mindful of kind of what conditions you're travelling in, and if you've got kids or, or, or dogs, dogs with you, yeah, yeah, you might want to kind of pitch yourself up on the beach. So we were we hit the beach for a couple of nights. We bumped into Froggy the truck. Do you remember Lee Watts? I think his name was. Yeah. He's got a a DAF Overland truck, and we parked up next to them. We were at the start of our adventure. They were at the start of theirs. And I'd, I've seen Matt at the Adventure Overland show and a couple of other places online. He's we've seemed to have followed a few tracks of theirs. And we just we stopped by the beach for a couple of days, which was nice. And then we explored the countryside a little bit more. Yeah. The- we went past quite a lot of vineyards and the chateaus. Mm. Like, there's loads. I forgot loads to ask of... you, actually. What, what are you drinking, Steph? <laughs> what have you got there? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the Aperol Spritz. I've which got a is, Mr. Chalk. You've got a Mr. Chalk, which you brought back from, from France. Yeah. But I'm on the Aperol Spritz, which, which is why this might get a bit uh, confusing, this podcast, because I'm all over the place. Right, so we, we did a bit yeah. of camping anyway um, on the beach, which was nice. So west coast of, um, like, just just to the west of, of Bordeaux, you've got kind of really nice sandy beaches, big waves. Uh, it's an area that I used to go a little bit as a kid. There's a lot of pine forests. There's lots of places for shade. And it was the first time we were kind of exploring the, like, kind of camping on airs, wasn't it, in France? Yeah. And I remember the first place we stopped up at. It was a, we used park for a night. There are loads of different ones. People will always argue about which is best, which is whatever. We found park for a night in Europe really useful. It's like a Bible for us. And basically it lists a load of camping spots that you can stay in. And it ranges from official campsites to camping airs, which if you haven't been to France before, there are basically car parks or parking spots that each town or village has dedicated for motorhome people to stop over and enjoy um quite often you don't pay your fee and there might be a, a place there to fill up your water to drain your water to get rid of your toilet waste there might be electric hookup points there they might be free or it might be maybe one or two euros they're great car parks to go and enjoy and having a motorhome or a camper van in france really does like it really does work well doesn't it you know, we've yeah. we've been living in France for five months until we got back here in the UK and we were just surviving by living on airs. We didn't pay for any camping at all in our time in Morzine. Um And that's all down to these airs that are dotted all over yeah. France. So it was the first time we kind of experienced them. And there's something quite nice about turning up somewhere and seeing a few people in motorhomes. Well, you feel a bit safer. Yeah. So our advice, I think that would be a good travel tip. That if you are kind of going over to France, download Park for a Night or an app similar and have a good look on there on the maps and see where all the little camp spots are. You can see pictures. 
and it will just get you a bit more comfortable about where you can stay, where you can't stay. And I know a lot of people like to plan their trips a bit more thoroughly and that will enable you to do it yeah. a bit better. So we kind of, we were stopping at the airs for the first time, which was really nice. Um, and we've always, we've always done that, that, that kind of cemented what would be the future of our trip, which is kind of using park for a night a lot of the time, but also finding our own spots too. So we kind of did that. And then we, I remember then we were, did we go to Arkashon Bay before the city or was it after? I think it was after, wasn't it? Was it? Went to the city. Yeah, so we went and visited the city. So maybe we'll talk a little bit about the city and what that has to offer and how we navigate that with a van. So for us, when we were camping on the road and when we were travelling, cities always posed a bit of a problem for us, didn't they? Yeah. We, because we'd sold everything and we'd moved into our camper full time, we, and at the time we were carrying a lot of camera gear. I carried two digital SLR cameras two GoPros, a drone, a MacBook, microphones. We had a lot of electronic equipment, a lot of camping, cooking equipment. And there was a lot of valuables in the van and we never felt comfortable leaving the van and uh, exploring. So we were always keeping the van within sight uh, when we were on our adventures. And it was a real problem for me, I think, because it meant that I missed out on quite a lot because, you know, one of us would go solo somewhere and the other yeah, one would stay by the van. you didn't really want to leave the van, did you? No, I was always a bit worried. And it's just because like, the old vans, it's just, you know, they're quite easy to break into. We ended up upgrading our locks and putting big chains and deadlocks in, but it's still really easy to smash, you know, the front window and hop in, um, you know, and I was always a bit nervous and paranoid about that and... You know, we don't have that worry anymore, and we'll talk about that maybe later on here, a different episode, but going to visit cities meant that parking up, where you're putting your vehicle at risk of getting broken into, and yeah, it was always a bit of a concern, so generally when we visit a city, we scope out a campsite, yeah, don't we? Yeah, a campsite near the city. Yeah. And we found one, didn't we, near Bordeaux? Yeah. So we found a good campsite, I think it was about 28 30 euros a night which is quite expensive i think you know like when you don't usually pay for parking but it, you go into the our city first place wasn't it yeah really? so so we parked up at this campsite maybe we'll try and dig that out and put that somewhere yeah uh or if somebody wants to know where that campsite is let us know but we stayed at this campsite we got the did we get the train in the i think bus? i think we kind of got the bus and then the tram in. yeah maybe we got a day ticket or something it was always really confusing this trying to get public transport wasn't it because yeah. In France, they're okay with dogs, but in Spain, Rupert wasn't allowed on public transport, the dog, you know, so we had problems there in Seville, which we'll talk about in a different episode, but we took the tram and the train into the centre of Bordeaux, and I think, I think we got, like, the 6am one? Yeah, it was the early one, wasn't it? I was quite adamant that we would get into the city centre first thing in the morning. Yeah. I wanted to see, see the markets. The, the sunrise. wanted to see the sunrise in the town. wanted to see the markets. And I wanted to see what the city... You can always tell a lot about a city first thing in the morning, I think. And, well, what did we learn about Bordeaux first thing in the morning? With all the rubbish. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it was really dirty. It was really dirty. It was full of ravers, really yeah. drunk people... There was a guy on a train I nearly had a fight with, yeah. remember? Yeah. He was... He, he was, was actually trying to, well, trying to talk to this woman, wasn't he? And we mm. just weren't going to have any of it, so... He was kind of into... Chatting, he was trying to chat this girl up, and she, she was on her way to work, and he was at the end of a night out, so it wasn't going to work anyway for him, bless him. Oh, it was quite scary for the woman. Yeah, and she was a bit, like, concerned by it, and there was a French lad that was kind of nearby, so he just kind of stood up. To be, yeah. you know, to do the right thing, which was great. I was surrounded with all my cameras and everything, so I was like, oh, I've really got to avoid getting into a confrontation in a foreign country with all this gear we've got on us. Anyway, that young lad seemed to be... At the moment he stood up, he regretted it, I think, and I could see that in his eyes, and I just felt so yeah. sorry for him. So I ended up yeah. chucking you the cameras. I stood up and told this guy to get off. Yeah. And uh, he, he looked me square in the eye. He looked like he was going to punch me, didn't he? Yeah. And I just, I just thought, stand my ground here. And I told him, I, I think I might have used the F word, which is universally accepted for um for when you're not happy. With... Anyway, we got him off. It was all okay. We got him off yeah, the train and then we carried on our journey and, and she was, was okay. fine. 
So yeah. we then walked around the city and it was it was loads of rubbish everywhere. The after effects of takeaway food and plastic yeah. cups. It was before the we saw the bin men come out. Didn't yeah, we? and then the bin men came out and it was just like, oh, this is a bit, this yeah, isn't it very was, nice. it started surprisingly. Yeah, dull. Yeah. Quite horrible. <laughs> this, we were trying to capture sunrise over Bordeaux as well, because we were really into the filming at the time. Like, we took it a bit too serious. Yeah. And we were trying to capture a sunrise over the city of Bordeaux, and it, it was it was a misty morning, and that wasn't going to happen. We saw some uh, f- cruise liner turn up, but then in the space of ninety minutes, the whole city it became spotless. Yeah, the sun came up. The sun came and up. It was clean. Tourists began ar- arriving. A lot of workers were in the city centre, and then it just took on a completely different vibe, didn't it? Yeah. And Bordeaux is a as a city, it's it's very beautiful. I think it had a reputation because it was once all kind of dirty with pollution or whatever, and it was black, uh, you know, all on the yeah. buildings. But they cleaned it all up, and you basically they looked like kind of Georgian sleeping beauty. It was known as was it because sleeping... the walls went bu- yeah, that black was it. from pollution <laughs> that before was it. they cleaned it up. Yeah, yeah, sleeping beauty. Well, it come awoke, it awoke, didn't it that morning? Yeah. And we we saw the beauty of it when it when it woke up properly the city and. It's, I don't know, I don't, like, I'm not very good on timings, 18th century or something like that. There was, it looked like a lot of, the architecture in Bordeaux, it looks kind of it's like Georgian. It's very grand. It's very grand, very decadent. There are some cathedrals, but most buildings are about three or four stories high. They didn't build buildings that high in Bordeaux because it was marsh. The land was a bit marshy, I believe. So they were kind of limiting it to three or four stories. So nobody oh. built really high in Bordeaux, so you don't yeah. have this towering presence of buildings around here it's very so what they did build was very grand and the city spread out quite far so it is it's very beautiful it's a beautiful city and i would fully recommend getting kind of that day tram pass because if you like architecture yeah if you like architecture it's it's beautiful there's loads of old buildings but there are some modern new buildings there's that what's that um like mirror like oh mirror <laughs> mirror glaze or something. Well, I can't. I don't know. Can't pronounce it. In there's, French, there's this bit in France. It's on the river. It's in this absolute centre, and it looks like M- mirror do. <laughs> what? No, I'm Go not going to say, say it. it. No. Go on. Mirror do. Mirror do. Mirror do. Mirror okay. water. So a water <laughs> mirror, and it's basically there's this flat part on the front in Bordeaux, and it's kind of like a a square that's right on the riverfront and it has fountains in it and mist fountains perfect in the summer for keeping cool and people walk through there and play in there but when the fountains aren't on the water just settles and it's maybe only two centimeters deep but it looks just like a a it's, glass it's the world's largest reflecting pool that's what it's known uh, as okay yeah it is beautiful anyway, and we, we went yeah. there for sunrise. And and we saw people dancing in it, didn't yeah. we? And yeah. People doing backflips. Yeah. But that's, was really, it was warm. That's on the tram stop. Yeah. So we should say that because Bordeaux is, because they didn't build it so high with tall buildings, they, they spread out quite wide, so it is quite a big city. So to walk around, you'll definitely get 40,000 steps, and if you want to walk the whole place and, yeah. and see around. But if you get a, a tram ticket, you can hop on and off the tram whilst going around the city and see all the main destinations, get off, do a good walk around, jump back on and carry on. And quite often we'll just jump on a tram, do, yeah. a, whole lo- do a whole loop of the tram just yeah. to see what we like the look of. Well, and we, then We like tram life, don't yeah, we? Yeah, we call it hashtag tram life and we'd sit on the tram with maybe a picnic and, <laughs> and just watch the city from the tram and then get off and decide where we're going to go. So that's a good tip, I think, for Bordeaux. Yeah, get the tram. Ooh. Anyway, on that day out, I remember there was a... Uh, we met a superstar. <laughs> Do you remember? Yeah, in the Capusan Market. The Capusan Market. So this is a food market. It's open six days a week, I think from 5am or 6am. It is huge. It's enormous. There are kind of street signs inside the cafe to let you know what part of the market you're in or what cafe you're at. It's all underground. You can get fruit, veg, fish, meat, everything. It's enormous. And it's a place where a lot of chefs in the city will go to first thing in the morning to get their supplies for the day, run to the restaurant and then get the menu, you know, write it up and get it ready for the day's tourists. So it's a place that if you're going to visit Bordeaux, go and visit 
the that market. What's it? Cas- Capusan? The Capusan market, I think, yeah, it's pronounced. Um, yeah, Capusan market, I think I, I've got it down as. And it's 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 just wonderful. If you're really into your food and you like picking up different ingredients and you're thinking, I'm going to pick something up and we'll cook it at camp later on, that's the place to go to. You'll need a cool bag because it's hot in Bordeaux, but take a cool bag with you or a picnic bag pop your ingredients in, get back to camp and cook something enjoyable that day. And there's plenty of stuff that you can cook from Bordeaux, which we'll talk about maybe later. But And we, we tried the camelays. Yeah, the reason we kind of... There was a, there was a girl in there and she had, she, they made camelays, which are kind of like these little... Pastries. Pastry. They look yeah. like tiny little donuts, but much more grand, like architecturally designed It reminds rings. me of like an old-fashioned jelly. Do yes, remember. like an old jelly mould, but yeah. maybe, you know, like the size but of a... Small. Smaller than a cookie, maybe. Yeah. And they're the kind of these baked treats that Bordeaux are absolutely famous for. There's a few different shops that specialise and sell them. If you look on TripAdvisor, you'll see places yeah. to pick them up. But right there in the centre of the Capucin market was uh, a girl. And she saw me with all my cameras and microphones and stuff. So it... I don't know, we looked like a TV... We looked ridiculous. We looked like a TV crew on the move. <laughs> when we were travelling through Bordeaux, and it was just, yeah, so she said, oh, you want to try these? And uh, I was trying them, I just thought they were delicious. I think I paid for about 12 of them yeah. off her, and she said, oh, everybody in Caspian Market knows me. I Here, I am a superstar. I am famous, I am a superstar. And I just, uh, she had a lot of charisma, yeah. and I can see why. Yeah. She sold the best uh, kind of lace. We bought quite a few of those kind of lace on the road. yeah. They were really tasty from the market, but yeah. we actually bought them from the shop. I don't mm. know if you remember. Mm. And then we just ate them straight away. And we're like, oh, we went too sure. And that's because you actually had to cook them. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> you had to, you had to kind like, of bake them for four minutes in the oven. We just ate them. And we just ate them straight out of the pack. And yeah, they were pretty grim. Yeah, just just, but, but, <laughs> just go to cafes and buy them freshly yeah, baked. It's well the worth cafes. it. They are really tasty, done well. So that was a place we visited on the kind of day out in Bordeaux. I'm trying to think of any... Oh, we went along the riverfront. Yeah. And we had... Well, I had oysters and white wine. Yeah. And so if you walk along the river in Bordeaux, it's a bit It's a bit like London in a way. Like, you've got the Thames in London. You've got the You've got the River Garonne in, uh, in Bordeaux. And if you walk along that river, you'll just see loads of good, decent stuff. And if you go on a Sunday, you've got the Sunday markets, you've got the pop-up food stalls and all that sort of stuff. And you're more than likely going to find, if you're in season, uh, kind of an oyster pop-up, which is what we found. And yeah. I remember, I think I got maybe eight oysters, two glasses of wine, some bread and butter. And um, yeah, at the moment, and I remember it was, it, I didn't know this, but at the time we, uh, I finished my oysters I go up, and the guy's shouting, "Don't, don't put the shells in the bin! Don't put the shells in the bin!" I said, like, "Oh, what's you know? Yeah, what's what's the story here?" And they, what it is, they keep all the shells because the shells help. The part of the oyster life cycle. Yeah. we learnt, didn't we? Yeah, we learnt that when we moved to our next part of border. The little oysters like grow on there or something. Yeah, or atta- attached to there. Yeah, they're used help. as like kind of growing. Yeah, they use old shells to help grow new oysters and stuff like that. So they keep hold of the shells. Yeah. And I just I remember that, and then we walked back and we got the tram back and then there was a cat cafe in Bordeaux as well. Was there? Yeah. You're I'm obsessed sure. with cat cafe. <laughs> Steph once dragged me to a cat cafe for her and Kirsty, Kieran, the other guy in Chef Campus, his wife Kirsty. She shares the same birthday as Steph, and a few years ago they took us to Liverpool to a cat cafe, and there I was eating a scone <laughs> with some baldy cat licking my clotted cream. That was Dobby. Dobby, yeah, you you know the oh, names. No. I I couldn't care less, but you know all the names, and it was I just remember sitting there and this little bull cat <laughs> eyeing up my clotted cream. I was like, you shouldn't be having cream, and they knew they were using the paws to drag the scones and also yeah. It was it was horrendous. It if, was just good to go to see Mike's face. It was like reaction. why have a cafe full of cats? <laughs> That's just but, like. They're not even cats that sit by your feet. They jump on your lap. No, they're they're not. They jump on your feet. They jump on the coffee table. They try and pinch your cream. They lick your tea. And they're just... I love it. The only good thing about that cafe was 
taking that retro camera that I found oh, no. in the loft and getting people to take pictures <laughs> off us when there was actually no film in the camera and getting everybody oh, to pose for pictures. All of our all of our group. Yeah. I had That's the last wrong. laugh in that cafe. So anyway, yeah, there's a cat cafe in Bordeaux. Don't go. But No, you if you like cats, go I didn't get to go because we had Rupert. Yeah. So but I just noticed the cat cafe there. Yeah. It's got but, quite it's got quite a lot Bordeaux. Yeah. Um so plentiful. I think so city in terms of city tours, maybe two days in the city would be enough to feel like you picked up the vibe of Bordeaux, I would say. So if you're on a week long trip you might want to do a wine tasting experience. I thought, well, we'll talk about that in a bit because okay. we'll talk about Benoit's place. But in terms of city centre activities, okay, I think the market is, you've got to go to the market, the food markets. Yeah. I think you've got to maybe do one of those oyster pop-ups along the river on a Sunday and take it all in. Yeah, well... And then like go and visit like the parks and the areas of Bordeaux, and yeah, just take we just went to the park and that was yeah, lovely. Take it in; it's a pretty city. It's enjoyable, and it's nice. The the people are friendly. I think Bordeaux is, in my humble opinion, I think Bordeaux is, is France's pearl. I think it. I think it's. I think it's somewhere that people from Paris are jealous of, because yeah. Bordeaux for me. It's got a magnificent city. It's not overpopulated. It's not overcrowded. There aren't many, you know, there are no skyscrapers or anything like that. It's got a beautiful river running through it. It's got amazing restaurants. It's got some of the best seafood in the world right on its doorstep, which we'll touch on in a second. Beautiful buildings. It's got beautiful buildings. The people are friendly. They're laid back. They make the most of the weather. They're not, you know, they're not up themselves or anything like that. Very casual. It's got good infrastructure getting in and out of the city. And once it was cleaned up after a, a, a night raving, it was, <laughs> you know, how they turned it around yeah. so quick is beyond me. How they did that, that was yeah. brilliant. It was like 60-minute makeover, how they did it, wasn't it? <laughs> I expected Nick Knowles to pop out <laughs> and say, look, there you go, Bordeaux, here's your new city. Right, so that's uh, that's the city. Also, it has got more art and and history and culture but and museums, but we obviously didn't go to the museums because we had Rupert. Yeah, travelling with it. Everyone says get a dog a if there. you're travelling, but... We're going to touch on a few topics in this yeah. first podcast, but having a dog on the road is brilliant because you can't, you go on long walks and you see nature and all that sort of stuff. It's brilliant. But when you're visiting city centres or maybe tourist places that are kind of worth visiting, whether it's an art gallery or whether it's, a, uh, you know, like the palace down on the south, Ben Granada, what was the name of that oh, place? Alhambra. The Alhambra Palace. All those sort of places that you might want to go and visit they don't allow dogs in and that becomes then a, a bit tricky. And then when you're kind of going into the shops, only one of you can go in. And like when you're going food shopping, only one of you can go in because we didn't want to leave Rupert on his own in the in the camper van. Yeah. So, it, you know, it's just something to, to bear in mind. If, if you're only going away for a week and you can get a dog sitter, maybe consider that because you'll you get a lot from being able to explore together and do the tours together, I think. Um, but yeah, that's not to say that Rupert, you know, was a mistake. He certainly wasn't. Of course wasn't. not. Of course not. He's our baby. So I'd say two days in the city. Would yeah. you agree? Yeah. You could do more, do obviously. More, you could like, do lots of tours and all that sort of stuff. Eat but out a few times, yeah. It'd be nice. If you want to get a feel for the city and the vibe, two days I think would be enough. So okay. after the city, we then went to. I think my. I talked. I talked about this in the pilot, the very, 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 very first episode. Um, Arcachon Bay. Yeah. So. The beautiful Arcachon Bay. Yeah, I'm worried about going back. I'm not sure if it's going to be as nice the second time round. But we've sent other people oh, there and they've enjoyed it. So what? What would you? What? What are the key factors of Arcachon Bay? Do you think? What would you? What would you say about it? Oh, the the amount of um, oyster sellers. I think. Is it like twenty six? I think. Yeah. Um, and the the roads are just paved with oyster shells. It's it's referred to as the basin. So Arcachon Bay, as you, as the name suggests, is the bay area that links onto the Atlantic, and it's where the water comes in. And it's just maybe thirty minutes away, forty minutes away from the centre of Bordeaux, and it is one of the most kind of respected places for seafood. And uh, oysters are what it's famous for. And even kind of like the, the rain 
how the rain impacts the flavour of the oysters will make a difference. Because it's a bay, if there's a lot of rain, then the the salt levels of the bay will change, which will change the flavour of the oysters. And it's actually a place that school kids will go and visit to go and learn. In France, the, the kids... I think every Wednesday they do something something cultural about France, and that's why they're also patriotic. It's brilliant. We should do it in the UK. I don't know why we don't, but basically the kids get taken to places that produce food, some of the history and culture of France, and one of the places they will go to is Arcachon Bay to learn about oysters and seafood. And uh, so you see a lot of tours of kids and all that sort of stuff going on. But Arcachon Bay is, as Steph said, there's a lot of oyster huts there, and it's where a lot of the oyster kind of, I think they're called farmers... Are they called yeah, farmers? Yeah, oyster farmers. Fishermen farmers. Yeah, oyster farms. Yeah, oyster farms. And you'll see them go out on the boats at kind of sunrise and come back at sunset with the catch and with all these big boxes full of oyster shells with oysters in. And then they'll get offloaded and then they'll cross maybe 10 feet over the road and the road's made of oyster shells and they'll go into these huts. There was, the place that we stayed, there was about maybe five or 10 different huts and you could just go into those huts and have a plate of oysters and it was just, it was awesome. I remember watching the guys there shuck the oysters. Yeah. And I can shuck oysters, not, I wouldn't say fast, but quick enough. But these guys, whole different level. Maybe a second, two seconds per oyster. Tops. A second. So I've got a question for you. Are these the best oysters you've ever had then? I would say yes. Yeah. I didn't have to think about that. Yeah. They have different ranges, they're different number, but the oysters... We had a so in in that Arcachon Bay we did we did a couple of things, so we camped up there overnight and we watched the people go out on the on the farmers on the boats every morning and come back at sunset. I did a little cook there. Do you remember? Yeah. I did a, a, I think a clad de moules. A clad de moules. Which are mussels that are they're put onto um, Is kind it of mm, no they're put onto a bit of a plate facing downwards in a kind of like a pattern. But they're all pointing downwards. You pop them onto the floor and or on a plate or a piece of rock or whatever. And then you build a big tower of um, pine cone needles right. on top of them. So you stack your pine cone needles, almost like a bale of hay, on top. Like r- loads, loads of pine cones. Yeah. And because Arcachon Bay is on that west coast where the whole coastline is covered in pine trees. You know, pine needles are everywhere. And they're all dried out at that time of year. So you, you would have your kind of layer of mussels on the bottom, you would stack up all of your, your pine needles over the top, almost, you know those yoga gym balls, those big massive ones that you can yeah. get inflated, almost, as, well not quite as big as that, but somewhere, maybe a beach ball, so if you cut a beach ball in half and put it on top of a plate, that's how many pine needles you pretty much put on top of a plate of mussels and then you light it from the top and then after about 10 minutes it's all burnt and it's, you know, the mussels, you then dig them out with the, the pine cone ash, pine cone needle ash, and then flip them the right way up, open them up and eat them. And that was, the, I think, the first recipe we kind of filmed and did. Yeah. Um, I don't think I put enough pine cone needles on there. I, un- I, I didn't, I underestimated how many I needed, and I've done it since. You need loads to do it properly. And I remember that everyone was just, it was about, yeah, if you want to be intimidated, try cooking <laughs> in a, a traditional French dish in a traditional French region of France in front of a load of French people whilst talking English and drinking wine uh, and they will tell you exactly that you're doing it right or wrong and uh, there was about 20 or 30 people it was like a circus performer in the city centre I felt like a jester and um, it was quite intimidating I remember but it turned out all right it was okay Um, so we cooked that meal there and it was that night we then ate at one uh, of the, the shacks. Yeah, the Oyster Shack. So here is one of our top travel tips. If you're going to go to Bordeaux for a week's holiday or a two-week holiday, go over to Arcachon Bay, the basin, park up in that spot, which, drop us a message, we'll tell you exactly yeah. where it is. Book yourself, well, don't have to book yourself, walk in at around 40 minutes before sunset and order yourself a grand plate of oysters. You can have crevettes, prawns as well if you like. You don't eat oysters. Order that. Sit on the table outside and eat them when the oh, sun yeah. goes down. That will be one of the most memorable food dining experiences you ever have, in my opinion. Would you agree? I can't remember. 
<laughs> Sorry. Well, you don't. Lame. Well, you don't. No, I, do, I, just... I was just joking. She said it was yeah. most memorable. Oh, oh, you. I'm sorry, I forgot that I was married to a comedian. Stuff. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> coming to a coming to a theatre near you soon. Steph yeah, on no, the road. It was very. It was lovely. It was very memorable. And when you think there was no cooking involved in that, it was someone shucking open maybe you know twelve oysters in. 18 seconds, banging them on a plate and giving us a bottle of white wine and some bread and butter. But for me, that was one of the most memorable meals we've had on our journey. And it's a place for me, Arcajon Bay. It was definitely the, the atmosphere. I could retire there. Wasn't it? I, I could be yeah. an oyster farmer and retire there. Maybe one day I will. It was fantastic. So, yeah, that is a food secret, maybe not so secret food destination mm. of Bordeaux for us. Go out to the city centre. You see, city centres... I should, I'm going to get in a bit of bother for this, but city centres are quite tricky when it comes to restaurants. So there'll be some established restaurants that are really well known, they're really massive reputation. You need to book months in advance to get yourself in there. You're gonna, you're guaranteed a good plate of food, good service. But then every other restaurant, you're kind of rolling the dice a little bit. And the reason why is because a lot of restaurants maybe just thrive on tourists. And it's a one-visit policy. They know they don't have to kind of build up a repertoire with people necessarily for, you know, for return customers, repeat customers. So maybe in terms of service, it's a case of, you know, bums on seats, plates delivered on time, you know, kind of push them through the service, get them out, get the next table in, as many tables as you can in a day, as much, you know, as you possibly can, because the rents are extortionate. The, the fees are extortionate in the city centre and living in the city centre is expensive. So they have to maximise their profitability in a restaurant in a city centre and it's tough. If you wander a little bit out of the city centre and go to those suburb areas, you'll find a restaurant where maybe a family have run it for 10 or 20 years and all the locals go there and it's got a reputation and it can't afford to be bad because the locals simply won't go and that's who they rely on. So that's a little, you know, something to consider. If you're going to be eating when you're out and about travelling... Look at those areas that maybe don't have as much aren't in the city centre, aren't in the square, you know, in the very city centre. I'm not saying you're going to get a bad plate of food, but you're you're more than likely going to get a great plate of food if you look at the farm areas and the the areas just out of the city centre. You might have to speak French or try your best. You're going to get good plates of food. I think it's about finding the little hidden gems Mm. in places that you're not going to look at. There is, because I remember there's a place in Amsterdam that I always recommend to any friends who go there, and I'll talk about that another time. But we went there on our honeymoon. We'll talk about that that. sometime. That was an amazing restaurant in the city centre, and it wasn't expensive. Although we didn't know, because it had no prices or no menu. But she kept saying, don't worry, it's not expensive. Yeah. It's not, well, well, how expensive is expensive? We don't know. But we went for it and, yeah, it wasn't... Yeah, yeah we'll have to talk about that on another, another podcast. Another time. So, Arcachon Bay is maybe our food place to visit for Bordeaux. Would you agree? Yeah. Um, get to the beaches on the West Coast. There's a dune de Pilet, Pilet, Pilot. It's the biggest sand dune, I think, in Europe. Yeah. I don't know. It could be we, make... Well, we didn't it's huge. see it, did we? But... You have to go into an area, pay for parking, leave your van, then walk, and then go and climb up a sand dune to go and see it. And we kind of got towards a car park, and we just felt it wasn't really our thing. I don't think it was like I don't know. It was like fifteen euros to pay for your parking. I didn't really want to leave my vehicle yeah. there. It looked like a place that someone would target, and I don't think we were allowed Rupert past the barrier or yeah. something. So we didn't go and we see passed, it, but. Didn't we? If you move further along the coast, there are some amazing beaches and you get that incredible west-facing sunset. So when you see pictures on Instagram of sunsets at beaches, they're usually west-facing because the sunset's in the west. And on that west coast of France, you are blessed with sunsets that are just mm, incredible. Yeah. We'd always plan our meals at sunset, do you remember? Yeah, yeah. Maybe set, set up our little table yeah. and our chairs. That'll be in the Portugal podcast podcast because yeah. we did exactly that yeah we did it every night but portugal was where it stood out for us so yeah go and see arcachon bay two days in the city arcachon bay for your oysters and your food and just to get to get a feel for how like the producers are working and then when you want to discover wine which if, even if you're not into it there's here's a little top tip for you so as we were leaving bordeaux we were looking on park for a night once again 
and we saw a tractor symbol on the map and the tractor symbol is usually a farmer uh, and uh, they might make cheese, they might make wine. It's usually a farm that produces their own goods and we always look at them first because they're usually local food producers. And typically they're free to stay, but it's good manners to maybe buy a couple of things. So maybe, you know, buy some cheese if you're going to stay over, buy some wine. You're only going to be buying it anyway on your adventure, so you might as well stay somewhere and enjoy the area and buy local. So we pulled in to this tractor symbol on part for a night and yeah, it was the place we now know is Benoit's Benoit's, Benoit's place, Benoit's Chateau. Uh, Chateau Hot Prudot, uh, probably Prudot. Hot Prudot, Hot probably Prudot. pronounced I'm that not wrong. Too sure. um, so basically, it's in terms of relative wine kind of talk, it's a relatively small setup operation. It's family run. Ben Warren, his dad, his kids live there, his wife lives there, his mum lives there, and it's just him and his dad who are pruning the, the, the vineyards all throughout the year. And then, you know, pulling the grapes together, using the, the tractors, the machines they've got, um, producing their own wine. And we turned up at this place and his dad greeted us. And his dad doesn't speak any English, so it was a lot of charades or whatever going on. And he just arranged this little spot for us to camp. Do you remember? Yeah. Do you remember yeah, what he back. did when we when we turned up? He said, oh, it was kind of like, bark here, amazing view. Well, that's what I'm guessing he said. It was charades. <laughs> he got some... What are those uh the, shears. The, shears? I'm doing the um I'm doing the and Steph's saying <laughs> what it those shears and he just cut these two twigs because they were blocking yeah. our view from our oh, yeah. camp chairs. Yeah. He said uh for the sunset. He said uh super once he did that. <laughs> and it was just yeah. like he was really making us feel welcome. And then his son Benoit turns up about two hours later, spoke his English is much better than my French. Spoke, you know, a bit of English, but pretty good English. And Benoit then gave us a tour, didn't he, of the vineyard, about yeah, the operation. Yeah, excellent. And me and Benoit just hit it off straight away. Well, we had a good night, didn't we? Well, he, he plays rugby and uh, he was in his rugby kit. And, uh, you know, I enjoyed reminding him that England had you know, beaten France recently <laughs> or whatever. It was a good laugh. Anyway, it gives a good tour. Yeah. And then that, uh, we drank lots, we drank lots of wine that yeah. night, do you remember? Yeah. I was really drunk by the time we left. And Benoit, I think, was quite drunk as well. And then he was like, oh, tomorrow is the three days of the year where we pick the grapes. It's the most important days of the year. And I'm like, the most important days, and you're now spending your early hours drinking with us, and you've got to get up early tomorrow. And he's like, oh, yes, of course. It's like, right, what time, Benoit? I'll come and give you a hand, pal. <laughs> do you remember yeah. and he's like what I was like yeah I'll come and give you a hand and um, we met at like quarter to six in the morning so I had about we went back to the van we had a party <laughs> um, we drank quite a lot of more wine we ate more cheese and had a party listened to Daft Punk listened to Daft Punk and then four hours later my alarm clock went off I staggered out with the van got round to the front of the, the chateau and his dad was there and I jumped on the back of the tractor and I was in between the tractor and the trailer. So almost standing on the tow bar of the tractor whilst holding on to a metal bar of the trailer, his dad said, jump on this here. And I didn't know where we were going, how far it was going to be. It was pitch black and I was just holding on for dear life whilst he drove <laughs> off-road. And I remember, we watched the film back and I remember thinking, oh, this, this could go wrong really quick. If I fell off here or my yeah. foot slipped, I'd go under the tyres of the trailer, which is a... A three, four ton trailer, and yeah, God knows. But anyway, I, I tr- opened on, I held on to this trailer, and we got dragged out into the fields. And then I was on the tractor with Benoit picking the grapes, and it was just, it was awesome, wasn't it? Yeah. I really yeah. felt like we'd made it at that point. I really felt like Chef Campers had hit its, hit everything. Well, we were doing what we wanted to yeah. do. Yeah. It was a point on yeah. the trip for me that I felt that we'd achieved what we'd set out to do, which was have food based travel adventures. And you can't get anything more authentic than hanging on to the side of a tractor at six in the morning in a field in Bordeaux with a French guy picking grapes <laughs> and you're both hungover. It was just perfect. So we spent the day, didn't we? Yeah. Picking the grapes, making the wine. 
And, and ben, now Benoit has bottled that wine. Yeah, he's it? bottled that yes. wine. Uh, that wine, that those grapes that we picked, that's bottled. He's got two bottles for us. We keep meaning to go down yeah. and pick them up, or he keeps meaning to send them out. But because we're always traveling and moving, he hasn't got an address to send them to. Um, but we're gonna. I think I'm gonna arrange a delivery because yeah. we wanted to pick some up on the yeah. way back from Morzine, but it just wasn't gonna fit in. It was too much of a detour. With COVID as well. So we'll just pay for the postage, and I think I'm gonna get a load delivered in. And then maybe the next banquet or the next fire feast we have will be serving the wine that yeah. I picked with yeah. Benoit when we were a bit drunk in the morning. So that'll feature on our next banquet. The, uh, they won awards for their wine as well. And I, I'll just touch briefly on it. So I'm not, I'm not a food fan. I'm not like a, a wine buff. I'm not a wine snob. Um, I find the whole industry about wine a bit interesting in the sense that, you know, you have wine writers and you have people who are really into it or whatever. And it can be a little bit obnoxious at times. And I, it's something about food that I really detest when people are obnoxious about it. Mm. There's nothing worse for me than sitting at a table and someone coming to the table and because you're a chef, automatically they assume I'm going to try and give it the, the, big, the big bollocks on the food, you know, and just be really condescending about the chef. Like, don't ever insult a chef in front of me. That's just not... It doesn't float my boat, that being... Trying to be a food critic. Yeah. And it's when people are really obnoxious about food and spoil what is essentially a good time. Like, that, you know, that plate of food in Arcachon Bay was just some shut oysters and some, some wine and some bread and butter. There was no skill or anything involved necessarily in doing that. There was skill in, in the growing and the, and the harvesting, but... You know, it was just a simple case that it was a, it was simple and it was a sunset. It was a perfect place and it was it tasted amazing. And yeah, sure enough, they could have served it on a different plate, maybe with a few more decorative stuff on it. But ultimately, it was just it was that moment. So wine, I sometimes find that people get a bit poncy about it. And it was something I was a bit nervous about, especially when going to a vineyard and meeting someone. But Benoit... He was the best wine person yeah. I've ever... The first thing he said to me was, he was like, wine is really simple. He said, you either like it or you don't. <laughs> and I looked at him and I thought, is he some sort of genius or something? What, what's, what's his crack? And he was just like, we all have different opinions. We all have... I, this is an award-winning wine. It was an award-winning wine in 2015. Two stars of the Hachette Guide, which is enormous. It's incredible. It's like, it's really well-respected wine. And I said, what did you do differently that year? And he's like, nothing. It just, people liked it that year. Um, you know, the, 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 the terroir or whatever it's called was different. And the, you know, the parameters of the soil and all that sort of stuff was different. But he said it was a simple case. People liked it that year. And he said to me, you know, there, there is some wine that maybe most people would say, oh, it's not very nice, and that's fine. But he said, when it comes to good wine, people tend to follow others on it. So find a wine that you like, you personally like, and then buy that and enjoy it. Don't worry about anyone else. And that was, for me, really solid advice when it came to wine, because yeah. I looked at it from a perspective of, let's pour a glass, let's see if we like it. I preferred the 2015. You preferred the 2016. Yeah, Doesn't yeah. mean the 2015 was better or the 2016 was better. It's just, just our different tastes. It's our different taste, and that's it, it. Was that philosophy he had about wine that changed my? It was almost like someone who knows more about wine than probably most people I've ever met could simplify it by simply saying it's either enjoyable for you or it's not enjoyable. That's it, and it kind of gave us the authority to be able to taste wine again later on down the line, later on in the journey and be honest about it. You know, it doesn't matter if it was a cheap bottle. If we enjoyed it, we enjoyed it. If it was an expensive bottle and we thought it was all right, then it was all right or it was nice. Um, but yeah, Bordeaux really did spark an interest in wine for me. Yeah, and what about the Bordelais sauce? <laughs> so, yeah, it's a good point. So in Bordeaux... Uh, there's a famous restaurant, Lanchecot. Uh, it's, it's a yellow sign. We we saw it outside. We were going to book in, but it's one of those places. A long queue, maybe an hour, two hours. It's almost like a Madame Two Swords of Bordeaux, wasn't it? It's a place that everyone would go to. It's basically a steak, usually a ribeye steak served with a red wine sauce. And I did it for the recipe, actually, for a recipe video. 
I don't think they'd let Rupert sit at the table either. No, Rupert wasn't allowed in or wasn't allowed outside. or a knife and fork. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's what he'd want to do. That's what he'd want. He'd want the full shenanigans, wouldn't he? his own steak. But it was... So I was speaking to Benoit about this, like, Bordelais sauce. You know, he was from Bordeaux. He was Bordelais or Bordelais. It depends yeah. on if you're male or female, you're called Bordelais or Bordelais or something. I don't know, male I'm or not, feminine. Yeah. Not clued Two up different... yet. Names for the male and the female yeah. from Bordeaux. Anyway, I said to him, look, I'm going to use this bottle for, to make the Bordelais sauce yeah. in my next recipe video. He said, oh, don't use the wine to make a sauce. I said, what do you mean? He's like, the wine, the wine is, is the, the sauce. sauce. The, wine the wine is, is the, the sauce. sauce, he would say. He said, don't you be cooking it. The wine is the sauce. You would eat your steak. And a you, very interesting point, actually. It was, and I felt I did it. I did it anyway, and I yeah. did apologise to him. It's a great sauce, Baudelaire sauce. It's just, a, yeah, it's a lovely. I did a recipe on that on YouTube and Facebook. I think you can look that up. But Baudelaire sauce, red wine sauce that goes with a ribeye steak, fantastic. And what else we did? I remember um, Benoit. He gave us some dry. Oh yeah, vine. Yeah, the branches. vines, the vine branches that grow the grapes. When they're chopped and trimmed and cut, they're dried out. They're about an inch thick. And I use that for fuel on my barbecue. And it is one of the most extravagant fuels you can use on your barbecue. And it was fantastic. And you cook the steak. I cooked the steak on the vines from his chateau with the wine from his chateau when we were on the other side of the Pyrenees in Spain. So, yeah. That was amazing. Yeah. Ben was a good friend. No, uh, I saw him in Twickenham. Me and my dad went to watch the uh, England and versus France game at Twickenham uh, a couple of years ago. And Benoit had tickets in the French side and we met up after the game. and He bought me a load of Guinness because France lost. And we still keep in touch now. And Benoit is very much... He's going to be... I, I, I'd love for him to be part of the future of Chef Campers in some way. I think we'll always... When we have our HQ, it's going to be his yeah. wine that we stock, I think. I I like it, and you know, all the friends I've given it yeah. to have enjoyed it. So it's good wine, as far as I'm concerned. Um, yeah, that was Bordeaux. That was Bordeaux. So in summary, Bordeaux, fantastic beaches on the west coast. Lots of like pine trees and that sort of vibe uh, yeah, on the west coast with the beaches. Great weather in spring and autumn. A bit hot in summer, but everywhere's going to be a bit hot. A bit cold in winter, maybe, but... Probably a, a four-season town to go and visit. The city centre's great, maybe two days and you've probably got a good taste of it, but spend longer if you wish, or a day and you could probably tick off all the, the main spots that you might want to see. If you want to eat some food, maybe go out of the city centre, look for those little villages that are just on the outside where all the, 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 the wine tours are. Uh, if you want to do a wine tour, go to Benoit's place, drop us a message, we'll send you to him. He'll be more than happy to host you there, free of charge. Buy a couple of bottles of wine, buy some jam, buy some red wine salt. Buy whatever he's got there, it's good stuff. Um, and he's good fun as well, you'll have a good laugh with him. And uh, yeah, enjoy the, the camping. Uh, download Park for a Night or any other apps like that and enjoy the airs of what France has to offer. And uh, yeah, most of all, just enjoy yourself. You know, if you're on holiday, you've worked hard for it, you've had to save up for the petrol, you've had to save up for your spends. Make the most of it. You know, get up early if you can. If you don't, make sure you had a good night before on the sauce. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, enjoy it. Anything else to add about Bordeaux, Steph? We said about the cat cafe, didn't we? <laughs> we did talk about the cat cafe. We, that's all we need yeah, to know about very, it. <laughs> very beautiful place. It's um, a place... I definitely recommend it. We're going to go back to Bordeaux. Yeah. And it's a place that I think, if I was in my 50s or 60s, I would happily happily settle down in bordeaux it's yes, one of my favorite very, places very from beautiful yeah it's one of my favorite places we've ever been to i think yeah me too and yeah if you've got Agreed. a week off or 10 days off good place to visit Agreed. right uh next week we're gonna have another podcast it'll probably be a little bit more organized than this one i think where are we going next week oh catalonia catalonia lots of gypsy kings yeah. <laughs> um and I think we've we've got a visitor in Catalonia, we I do. think. Yeah. John yeah. and Jen. Yeah. Um yeah, join us next week while we'll go to Catalonia. We'll try and figure out our uh structure a bit more. If you like this I'll do the whole podcast thing now. If you like this podcast, uh 
leave us five stars on iTunes so people know we're there and we know we exist. Uh, maybe leave us a written review as well. That really helps in raising our profile. And um, yeah, let us know if you've listened to it, if you've enjoyed it. Leave us a voice yeah. message. Uh, we might do a one-off kind of week where we do questions and answers. So if you have any questions or answers in van life in general or travelling in a van, vehicle choice, all that sort of stuff, drop us a message and we will help. I think that's it, Steph. I think that's it. Thanks for listening. I've been Mike. I've been Steph. Rupert's, Rupert's been, been snoring. Yeah. And that was Aperol Spritz, Bordeaux. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye.